Lord Jesus, You call us to an abundant feast, but often we refuse Your invitation. So Lord, please use Your Word this morning to call us back and help us to give more of our lives to You. We pray this in Your name, Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, my wife heard a speaker named John Eldridge who described our relationship with God as being like a sacred romance novel. God loves us so passionately that He pursues us and He dies for us and then calls us into this exciting adventure with Him. It's, it's like a romance novel. Well, she came home from this talk full of, full of life and energy, very inspired and all full of hope and enthusiasm, only to find that our dog had gotten sick all over the house and she had to clean it up. And then one of the kids started to cry and the other one needed changing and she thought, if life is a romance novel, what am I doing in the subplot? (laughs) Jesus said that I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. But I think that raises a good question. Do we have that abundant life? Not, Not the good life, which most of us chase after, but the abundant life. Abundant life marked by intimacy with God and adventure and a sense of significance and joy, even when times are tough, maybe especially when times are tough. Do we have the abundant life? The story we just read about Jesus feeding the 5,000 speaks to that question. Last week, if you remember, Gary Haugen mentioned this story in his sermon, and today I want to look at that story in its its full context. And, And yes, this was planned, so this wasn't an accident. If you open up your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. It's good to look at it once in a while. If you open up the Bible to page 41 in the New Testament, the passage that we just read, you'll notice that what comes right before this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is another story about a banquet that King Herod gives. And at that banquet, his stepdaughter dances for everybody. And Herod liked it so much that he says to her, as a reward, I'll give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. Boy, was that a stupid thing to say. Then prompted by her mother who hated John the Baptist, the stepdaughter says, well, I want John the Baptist's head. Herod didn't want to do that because he sensed that John was a holy man, but he had no backbone, so he caved in and had John's head brought in on a platter, which probably put a damper on the party. Now, Mark tells this story as a flashback, and then he tells the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So that what you have in Mark chapter 6 is the story of two different feasts back to back. Herod's feast and Jesus' feast. And they represent two different things. The good life, on the one hand, and the abundant life that only Jesus can give on the other. And here's what disturbs me about me. Had I been given an invitation to those two banquets, guess which one I'd have gone to? Herod's. Wouldn't you? I mean, Herod's party has everything you want. Food, entertainment, dancing girls, right? And all the important people were going to be there. All the the, the power people, the money people, the beautiful people. I'd have gone to Herod's feast. Jesus' feast, what's that? 5,000 hungry people and you got to feed them. That doesn't sound like any fun, right? Like a bad Thanksgiving day. 
And who are the people at Jesus' party? The riffraff, the sick, the poor, the hungry, the down and out. No, Herod's party was where it was at. Herod's party represents all the best that the world has to offer us. Power, luxury, entertainment, success, the things that I and maybe you chase after 24-7-52. There's just one problem with Herod's feast. It ends in death. John the Baptist is killed just for the fun of it. Whereas Jesus' feast ends in abundance. Thousands of people fed and baskets left over. You see, Herod's feast, the good life, it's really just an illusion. Herod looks like he's having fun, but by the end of the party, not so much fun, right? And Herod looks powerful, but he can't even stand up to his wife, let alone rule a kingdom. And whereas Jesus has the power to turn a few loaves and fish into a banquet... The only power Herod has is to turn a really great party into a depressing experience. Herod's feast or Jesus' feast? And the problem with me and maybe with you is all too often I gravitate toward Herod's table. But Jesus' feast offers so much more. To begin with, Jesus' feast offers intimacy with him. You know, Herod's party has a lot of people at it, a lot of conversation But no intimacy, just a crowd of lonely strangers. But look how Jesus' feast begins. Jesus, the very first thing he says is to his disciples, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Doesn't that sound great? Come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus' feast is about closeness with him. I have a friend who's a, a very socially graceful, busy Silicon Valley executive But she spends two hours a day in prayer. Two hours. And she likes it. She said, I mean, she doesn't find it boring. She she says, I'd rather do that than go to a movie or a great restaurant. Now, i got to confess to you, I'm not there yet. I mean, I do sometimes experience that kind of closeness with God, but but not like that. But I want to be there. What would that be like? To feel so close to God that you would do that for two hours a day. The promise of Jesus' feast is if we follow him, we can get there. Part of his feast is closeness with him. But more than that, more than that, whereas Herod's feast is passive, Jesus' feast is active. You know, the people at Herod's party are just passive consumers of food and, and entertainment. But Jesus' disciples are active, they're engaged, they're alive. Notice how the story begins. It says, the apostles, which means those who had been sent, the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him everything that they'd done. Notice, It doesn't say the church attenders gathered around Jesus and told him all the sermons they'd heard or the committee members gathered around Jesus and told him all the things they discussed. No, the apostles, those who had been sent out, gathered around Jesus and told him everything they'd done. They are actively engaged in an exciting adventure. In so much of our lives, we are passive consumers of television, lectures, sermons, and and that's boring, especially the last one. That's Herod's feast. But Jesus' feast is more interesting than that. He invites us to be actively engaged in some really cool projects. And when we join him in those really cool projects, that's how he becomes real to us. Not not, not through sermons or lectures, but by, by, by serving him. You know, as shattering as it is to my ego to admit this, most of you will forget this sermon by dinner time tonight. Maybe lunch. 
And for all I know, some of you are blotting it out word by word, even as I speak it. But do you think those disciples ever forgot the day they fed all those people with just a little bit of bread and fish? No, because they experienced it. We love to theorize and theologize and think about our faith. But the way it becomes real is when we actively live out our words, when we actively live out our our faith. Then it becomes real. Jesus' faith feast is active. Herod's is passive. Third thing about Jesus' feast. You know, Herod's feast is all about consuming. But Jesus' feast is about giving, which, ironically, is more rewarding. You know, I, I love the disciples' reaction to the hungry crowd when they see them gathering. What do they say, spiritual leaders that they are? Send them away, Jesus. There's leadership, right? Send them away. Jesus, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Send them away. (laughs) Ever feel that way when you see a need? Send it away. Years ago, I can remember having lunch with a friend of mine and and a co-worker of his walked by and before I could stop him, my friend waved the co-worker over and I remember thinking, oh no, I don't want to do this. I, I want to have lunch with you, not with, not with some unnamed coworker. That's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> it was years ago. I'm much better now. Well, the coworker started talking, and it turns out he was, his marriage was in trouble. And, and as we talked, the conversation veered toward religion, and we got to talk about Jesus and, and faith. And through the whole conversation, you could just see some of the weight lifted from this man's shoulders. And it was great to be part of it. And an ordinary lunch turned into a feast, something really great. I mean, I've had a lot of lunches. I've remembered this one for years because we gave rather than consumed. Now, we are not called to meet every need of every person. That would be overwhelming and depressing. We can't do that. But if we want to experience Jesus more fully, we have to follow the instructions he gives his disciples. You give them something to eat. You tell that person God loves them. You tutor some kid who needs it. You do some babysitting for a single mom so she can get some rest. You give that lonely person some friendship. And it doesn't have to be a big thing that we do either. I mean, the people in this story, these 5,000 people aren't facing a crisis, right? They've, they've missed lunch. That, that's it. They're grumpy, but they're not starving. We are asked to meet a few small needs of the people right in front of us. And when we do, like the disciples in this story, we have abundance, baskets left over. Which brings me to my last point. Whereas Herod's feast is about our self-sufficiency, Jesus' feast is about his abundant provision, even in our weakness. You know, Herod's feast is really a display of everything he can provide as king. It's a big show-off time. It's the kind of thing I love to engage in. Just show off my titles, my degrees, my accomplishments. That's Herod's feast. But Jesus' feast is about how he can take even our inadequate offerings and multiply them to feed others. You know, when, when I hear a sermon like this that says, go out and serve and give your, give your life away, my reaction is very similar to the disciples. I, I can't do that. I don't have enough time. I I don't have enough energy. I don't have what it takes. But in the middle of my fear, Jesus asked this great question, and and Gary alluded to it last week. Well, what is it that you've got? Bring it to me, whatever it is, and I'll multiply it, and I'll use it. You see, the good news is we don't do this alone. We can't do this alone. 
We do this with Jesus. Our job is to bring whatever little bit we've got. His job is to multiply it and make it effective. And when we do that, we see miracles. At a church I used to attend, there was a woman there appropriately named Grace who used to bring three prostitutes to church every Sunday so that they could hear about Jesus. Well, this created a bit of a ruckus because their profession was pretty obvious. And some of the church people complained that they couldn't worship with those women in the room. Well, the pastors knew that they couldn't just keep these prostitutes from coming to church, call them crazy. They figured that's what Jesus wouldn't want them to do that, right? So they got some volunteers from the congregation to sit around Grace and her three friends to form sort of a buffer zone. You know? Well, some of these volunteers then decided to take it a little further and started inviting these three three women to lunch after the service. Well, at one of these lunches, these three women were sitting in the living room of this one family waiting for lunch to be ready when out of the blue, the six-year-old daughter that belonged to that family just jumps up into the lap of one of these prostitutes and began to touch her hair and looked up in her face and said to her, you're pretty. At which point, tears began to run down the prostitute's face. And she said, I've been touched in every way imaginable, but this is the first time that it ever felt like love. And suddenly, in that living room, Jesus showed up. And an ordinary lunch became a feast. Now, the family that invited these women over to their house, what did they have to give? Not much, just just lunch, right? But because they were active, not passive, because they gave rather than consumed, and because they did it with Jesus and in his name, he multiplied what little they brought, and they got a glimpse of the kingdom of God right there on the sofa. And they also got a sense of closeness with him. Herod's feast or Jesus' feast? Which do you want? Because here's the deal. You can't do both at the same time. Now, I want to be clear. This is not some guilt trip that I'm trying to lay on you. This is, this is not a message that is meant to say you ought to do this or you should do this, and if you don't, you're a rotten person. No. This is a gracious invitation from a God who loves us very much and is waiting to give us the abundant life he died to make possible. And, and maybe you're not even sure you believe in Jesus at all. That's okay. Journey with us. Jesus invites all of us, wherever we're at, to follow him. That, that's what a disciple is. And to begin to do the things he tells us to do, one of which is to serve in his name. And when we do, we know he's real. And there are all kinds of ways to do this. All kinds of ways. A a one-week mission trip. Listen to a hurting friend and pray for them. Mentor someone younger. Help an at-risk kid learn how to read. And when we do these things in Jesus' name, his promise is that like the original 12 disciples, we will be people who have seen Jesus with our own eyes, touched him with our hands, and been made different. That's what a disciple is. After our first year in ministry, my wife and I were exhausted. And I, in particular, felt like I'd given up a lot to go into ministry. And so we decided that it was payback time. So we made plans to go to Italy for two weeks with the sole goal of just spoiling ourselves rotten. Now, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of rest, but that was not our attitude. No, no, no. Our attitude was just to indulge ourselves, and boy, howdy, did we. Every morning I'd wake up and ask, what will make Scott happy today? (laughs) 
what would Scott like to do today? What would Scott like to eat? Let's think about Scott, shall we? We haven't thought enough about Scott today. But as the vacation went on, we didn't get happier. We got grumpier. Little things would irritate us. If we had to wait in line, we felt like we were the most deprived people on the planet, which is tough, because in Italy there's a lot of lines. This sort of reached a crescendo on the airplane uh, home. There was a woman in our row who just took too much of our personal space. You know, I mean, her feet kept moving over to, to our part of the row. She, at one point, she put her toes on my wife's legs. She took the armrest, for heaven's sakes. Right? So we spent the whole flight back from Italy sort of negotiating for our personal space, kind of pushing her off the armrest, taking as much leg room as we could, right? This silent battle all the way across the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> After we'd landed and had a little bit of time to detox, my wife said to me, what was that about? And we realized that after two weeks of living only for ourselves, our world had shrunk to the size of an airplane seat. Coach, mind you, not even first class. <laughs> because that's what Herod's feast does to you. It leaves your world small. And for both of us, it was a relief to get back into ministry again. To spend time in prayer again. To help others see Jesus by how we cared for them. All of that felt so much better. I don't know about you, but I have been eating at Herod's table my whole life long, and I'm still not full. And I've become convinced that there is nothing at that feast that is ever going to satisfy me. Only Jesus can. I have come, he said, that they may have life and have it how? Abundantly. Exactly. Not in little bits and dabs and dollops. Not measured out in coffee spoons and little miserable Oliver Twist. Please, sir, can I have some more proportions? No. Pressed down, heaped up, overflowing the measure life. That's what he died to give us. So whose table are you feasting at? And are you full? And who might you need to feed instead so that you can see Jesus bless what you bring and show you that he's real? Lord Jesus, we are many different people in this room this morning. Some of us believe in you passionately. Others of us are not sure that you exist at all. Lord, wherever we're at in that journey, we'd ask that you would call us to the next step. Keep, please, inviting us to your banquet. We, we long to experience that abundant life, Lord, and we just don't always know how to do it. So please take our hand and lead us one step at a time so that we can know you and the fullness of life you offer. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.